So I want to start this morning by confessing something that's happened to me recently. And uh, it's actually happened several times. And maybe you can relate to this. Um, a few weeks ago, I was uh, leaving work here at the church and left the office, got in my car. Um, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, all of a sudden I was at home opening my door, my back door. Like, I'll just be honest. I don't remember any part of the drive from leaving my house to getting home. Like, it kind of freaked me out a little bit because I was thinking, man, what in the world was I doing that entire drive home? Anybody ever been there? Like, you've just been driving somewhere and you just don't remember any part of it. Like, that was kind of where I was at. Or maybe this is you. Maybe you've been nervous before and all of a sudden, like, you've been nervous for a few minutes, something's going on, maybe it's an intense scene in a movie or, or just something's made you nervous, a job interview, and the next thing you know, you look down and all your fingernails are gone, right? <laughs> Isn't it weird that there's things in our life that we do and we don't even realize we've done them? It just happens. In fact, I kind of was interested about this. So I did a little study here. There is about 40% of our day in which we do things just like this. We do them and it's so automatic, we don't even think about what it is we're doing. What's happened is we have done this thing so much and so well, so efficiently, that we don't even realize we're doing it. It's what we call second nature, right? Second nature. And I want us to kind of, as we think about these next couple weeks together, I want us to kind of get this picture in our head, this idea of what it means to just do things second nature. So last week, uh, our church finished up a great series called First Things First. First Things First. And it really was about the idea of something that Jesus says in Luke 10, 27. He actually says it many different places. He also says it in Mark 12, 30. And I want to kind of remind you of that because it's going to kind of send us into this next series. The thing that Jesus says time and time again throughout his time here on earth is found here in Mark 12, 30. And it's going to come up here on the screen. The scribes were asking Jesus, saying, hey, what's the main thing? Like, what's the first things first of life? What's the most important thing in life? And Jesus says it here in verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first. Like, this is the first things first. This is the first commandment. And that was what our whole series from January 1st till now has been about. This idea that we have the opportunity to leverage our heart, our soul, our mind, even our strength, even our body like we talked about last week. We have the privilege to leverage these things for the glory of God and to love him greatly. And then it says, and, and then the, the second part of this is what I want to focus on these next three weeks. The second thing that Jesus says here. Verse 31. And the second commandment is like it. It's this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment 
greater than these. So what Jesus is saying here is, hey, not only am I supposed to focus on my relationship with God, and let's be honest, that's pretty difficult, right? But there's some saving grace in that. We know this, that if it's my relationship with just me and God, the saving grace is if there's a dysfunction, we know where the dysfunction is, right? Right here, right? It's not with God. But he goes a step further. Jesus says, hey, not only that, let's focus on that, but let's also focus on how we can love people well. And let's be honest, controlling that relationship is a lot different because it's not just one dysfunction anymore, us, it's also potentially the dysfunction that other people are carrying that we're to love as well. And this, honestly, I look at these two verses, these two commandments, and it's pretty interesting to think that just in those two commandments are about 30 words, 31 words to be exact. 31 words, like our Chick-fil-A orders are longer than that. But here's what's crazy. In 31 words, God sums up for us what life is all about. This first things first mentality we get to have with God And the second thing, the second way that we love in loving others. And quite frankly, I'll be honest, I think in some ways it might be harder to do the second one. Because it involves the dysfunction of other people. But Jesus here, he doesn't just give us these commandments and leave us hanging. Like, all right, good luck with that. Have fun with that. You're going to really enjoy, you know, your crazy aunt or your crazy uncle. No, he gives us. He gives us something incredible to equip us and to empower us to do these two commandments. To love others and to love him. And in Colossians 3.10, it talks about this, right? Paul says this about something he's going to give us. Look at verse 10. And have put on the new self, this new nature, this new nature that we're going to get, which is being renewed in knowledge After the image of its creator, this new nature that God is going to give us, it's going to be something that literally makes us look like the creator, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Look at the introduction here. When we begin to follow Jesus, for every person in this room that calls yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, when we begin to follow him, he gives us a second and better nature that empowers us to love him wholeheartedly and to love others sacrificially. It's no longer in our strength that we love Christ, in our strength that we love others. No, it's through this new nature that he has given us, this second nature that he's given us. And his desire, and this is kind of a play on words, but I really want you to catch this because this is the whole series. His desire is that this second nature would become second nature for us. That this new nature, this second nature that he's given us, this better nature that he's given us, that we would allow it to penetrate our lives in such a way that it really becomes second nature to us. Automatic. And this is what God desires for us. And let's be honest, a lot of us in this room know probably someone that we see this flesh out in their life. We've walked with this person long enough 
And you're like, wow, they just exude love. Like, they just love people. Like, every time something hard comes into their life, every time some difficult person comes into their life, they just exude love. It just seems so automatic for them. It just seems like it's just second nature for them. And we all probably, if we think about it long enough, we probably can think of people in our lives that were like that or have been like that in our lives. But if we're truthful, the majority of us in the room, is it second nature to love people well? I mean, is it automatic? Is it like driving a car? I I think by the smirks on your face, the answer for most of us in this room is it's not second nature. It's not a habit. It's not automatic. It's not like driving a car. In fact, for a lot of us, it, it, it's noticeable when we have our reactions that there's not a lot of love at times for others. And when we hear the phrase, love your neighbor, right? When we hear that phrase, we, we know what it means. Like, we, we know what it means. It means everyone, right? Love your neighbor means love everyone, love all people, and, and, and that's not like something brand new to us. In fact, if you didn't grow up in church, chances are you're familiar with this cute little phrase that Jesus gave us. You're, 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 you know it. You know what it's all about. But the question is, do we actually do this? Do we love our neighbor? Or has this phrase just become another cliche in the Christian world? You know, for a lot of us, when we hear this phrase, we will put just about anything in that blank of love other than love your neighbor. Think about the things that we put in that blank. For some of us, we put gossip about your neighbor, profit off your neighbor. Something sometimes I put in that blank is, when I'm in traffic, cut off your neighbor. (laughs) Judge your neighbor. Exploit your neighbor. Blame your neighbor. And for most of us, the the most common one that I really think we might struggle with the most out of all of them is ignore your neighbor or forget your neighbor. You know, when you think about it, this, this phrase of Jesus doesn't seem so cute because it's not just a little cute thing he says. This is a command he gives us. A command that he gives us. And why is it that there's something inside of me that's so susceptible to putting anything in that blank other than love? Why is that? I believe God desires for each of us to use what he's given us. This second new nature to do something incredible for the kingdom of God. To love people well. So how do we get there? How do we make this new nature like second nature, automatic? How do we get to that place? We know people like this. How did they get there? And how do we get there in our own hearts? I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12. Paul is writing to the church And he gives them, uh, in the passage we're going to be reading the next couple weeks, he gives them literally like rapid fire truth. Like boom, boom, boom. Like like phrase after phrase after phrase after phrase. Just quick phrases that are absolutely packed with meaning and packed with truth. And and so we're going to take a little time on this because I want us to really taste 
the truth that we find here in this little passage. You know, my wife uh, is from California. Crystal, my wife's from California, and we do uh, some traveling out there. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been out in California, but a lot of the area has a lot of farms. There's a lot of fruit and nuts in California. No pun intended, but... But we were driving on the road, and you can see, like, there's these orange farms that are sitting there. And you guys have probably experienced this here with, with the corn that we have around. But you're driving, and you see the rows. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're driving, you look out, and you're like, yung, 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 you know, you see the rows. Well, out there, it's the same way. And you can drive by these orange farms and just see the oranges hanging on the tree. But I'm going, like, 60 or 70 miles an hour. So I see them, but I don't really see them. You know what I'm saying? I'm not really seeing the oranges. I'm flying by the oranges. And I think when it comes to passages like this, for most of us in here, hopefully, you have a quiet time. You have a time where you spend with God. And for, for if you're like me, you know, you try to read through the Bible in a year or you have a, a goal set. And for some of us, you know, we're reading our Bible and, all right, we finished that chapter. Good to go. Let's say a prayer and, and be done. And it's so easy to do that in our quiet times. And here, Paul has given us so much truth. And I don't want us to drive by this like I'm driving by the orange farm. I want us to get out of the car, go up to the fruit stand or go up to the tree and really taste the truth of what we're hearing today and this week. So for the next three weeks, we're here in Romans chapter 12 going through these little phrases, these commands really, that Paul gives us. And this is what's going to help us develop what our second nature should be. So what does our second nature involve? Well, first of all, it involves both loving and hating. It involves both loving and hating. Look with me in verse 9. What do we see here? We see loving with authenticity. Loving with authenticity. It would be good if I could say that word. Loving with authenticity. Look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be Genuine. Your translation might say something different. Maybe it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now, this is a word we know, right? Like hypocrisy, another word that we hear a lot is the word hypocrite, right? This is not a church word, believe it or not. This word was around long before the church was ever established. In the 4th century BC, like early, early, this term hypocrite came out. And you know who the hypocrites were in the 4th century B.C.? It was the actors, like stage actors. That was the name given to actors. They were hypocrites. Not a bad name for actors, but anyway, hypocrite was the word. And here's what it means. It's this idea of plain acting, play acting. So what, what Paul's saying here is this. Let love be without acting. Let love be without acting. Hypocrisy and love, think about this. Hypocrisy and love are fundamentally a paradox. They're a paradox. They cannot coexist. And so when, when Paul is saying this to us, he's starting this whole little passage here, this, this passage of exhortations. He's starting it with this one thing. Hey, let your love be without acting. It's interesting how God 
just births series and passages and messages in your heart. And uh, this verse, this, this first little part here, verse 9, is actually on our wall in our house right now. We have a little chalkboard and we change the verse. And right now, this is our family verse because this is something our family's struggling with right now, to be honest. And in, in our little kitchenette area, we have this verse, and I literally sit, and we like to play card games. Our family does. So we're sitting there, and right over across is the wall that says this verse. Let love be without acting. Let love be genuine. And it just hit me the other day. We were sitting there playing card games, and I thought, man, isn't this such a weird thing? Because what's the nature of a card game? Think about this for a second. Some of you guys like to play cards and stuff. But what's the nature? You have your cards, and what are you doing? You're concealing your cards from everyone else, right? In fact, you're playing, you're acting, you're not wanting anyone to know what you have, and you're almost acting as if you have something that you don't have. And man, it just hit me. While I was playing cards with my boys, it just hit me, this, this verse. That for a lot of us, although that's a great strategy in card games, that's a terrible strategy in relationships. It's a terrible strategy in loving people well. But for a lot of us, that's the card game that we play. We play it in our friend circles. We play it in our church circles. We play it in our family. This presenting ourselves in such a way that is completely false of who we actually are. And what we don't realize is it is eroding away our love for people. We're not able to love people well. And quite frankly, they're not able to love us well. In a culture of photo filters and fake statuses, the world is crying out for something real. They're looking for what's real. And for each one of us in here, we have to realize that we have a job, a responsibility to let love be genuine, to stop acting. You will never love others well if you're acting. So our second nature involves loving, but it also, believe it or not, involves hating. It involves hating. What are we hating? Look, look here in verse 9. We are hating what is evil. Verse 9, the second part says, Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You know, we tend to think, and, and maybe you've thought this. I know I've thought this. We tend to think that hate is the enemy of love, right? We tend to think hate is the enemy of love, but it's not. Evil is the enemy of love, not hate. Evil is the enemy of love, not hate. Hate actually defines what love is. Our hatred, listen to this, defines for us what love is. For instance, I love pizza. Like pizza is one of my favorite things to eat. And, and I'll just tell you, I hate olives on a pizza. Like who would put that on a pizza? Pineapple. Who puts pineapple on a pizza? Like, it's pizza. <laughs> Who puts these things on a pizza? I hate that. If, if you want to know what I like, go kill some kind of animal <laughs> and put it on the pizza. That's what really complements the cheese. In fact, 
One of my favorite pizza places has a pizza called the Mighty Meaty, okay? That is a pizza. And here's what's true, and this is a dumb illustration, but hopefully it'll make sense to you. What makes me understand my love for the Mighty Meaty pizza is my hatred towards any kind of pineapple or olives on a pizza. And I know that's a weird illustration, but I want you to think of this. What we hate defines better for us what we love. Our love is established and defined by our hatred for evil and for sin. And for us in this, in this room and for our culture, we've gotten to a place where the response should be when we're faced in front of evil, when we're faced in front of that, our response should be we should be shocked by evil. It should shock us. But quite frankly, I think for a lot of us, and even in my own life, I've gotten to a place where at many times I entertain evil. That the response is now no longer shock, it's let's entertain this. And what I don't realize is this is the very thing that erodes away my love for God and my love for others. You tell me, think of this, a marriage that's in trouble right here and now, a marriage that's in trouble, I guarantee you there is some form of tolerating evil. Any dysfunction, there's, maybe you have a, a relationship that's divided right now, a relationship where you have an enemy, a person in your life that's an enemy. I guarantee you somewhere along the way, there was a tolerance for evil. And what God is saying to us is, hey, we have to love genuinely, but we are to hate what is evil. This needs to be our second nature, a nature of loving and hating. Our second nature also involves embracing and rejecting. Embracing and rejecting. What are we embracing? We're embracing others through honor. Verse 10 says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Man, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Honor. If there's a deficiency in our culture, it's this word, the word honor. It's a deficiency in the friends we hang out with. It's a deficiency in a lot of our relationships. This word honor, we have become masters of dishonor. Think of this. Think of the stuff that rumbles through your mind and stumbles out of your mouth. Just think about that for just a minute. What are the things that rumble in your mind and stumble out of your mouth. I heard someone say this recently, and I thought this was great. They said, if you didn't see it with your own eyes or hear it with your own ears, don't invent it with your small mind or speak it with your big mouth. <laughs> Honor is not a currency that we like to give out to people. We don't. It's so easy for us to change a conversation to a place of dishonoring someone else. Instead, we prefer, instead of honor, we really prefer competition and comparison. We love those two things. We love to look at our, us and look at others and really size ourselves up to them and try to see if we're better than they are. 
And I love the word Paul uses here. He almost makes a joke here. I don't know if you catch this, but Paul is basically saying in this verse, look at this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing, of, in showing honor. What Paul is saying here is, hey, if you're going to compete in something, compete in showing honor. Like, outdo one another in honor. And for some of us, it's, it's become honor has to be deserved, right? Well, what if they don't deserve honor? That person in my life, they just, they, you don't realize what they're doing to me. You don't realize how bad they're dishonoring me. I'm not going to honor them until they become honorable. And for some of us, that's kind of our mindset is we show honor when they're honorable. But we're really talking about the difference here, and, and hang with me on this. We're talking about the difference between two words, the word respect and the word honor. And let me, let me kind of give you some differences here. Respect is justly earned, but honor is freely given. Respect is justly earned, but honor is freely given. Hang with me. We might not respect a person or what they stand for. That, that might just be true. We might not respect certain things about what a person is and what they stand for. We might not respect a coworker that we have or a boss that we have. We might not respect a family member. Or maybe if you're a student, you might have a hard time respecting a teacher. Giving honor, though, is different. We can still show honor. We might not respect what they stand for, but we can show honor. Giving honor is a posture of the heart. It's saying to God, because you created this person and because you value this person, I'm going to value this person. I'm going to freely give honor. I'm going to place honor on them. And what's crazy about this is when we begin to honor people, even people that we don't think deserve honor, when we begin to do this, something happens. Because when we start to view them as God views them, when we start giving them the benefit of the doubt, when we start to build them up, they often begin to become honorable. Because you are reminding them of their worth in God. Honor builds up, but dishonor tears down. So we, we're, we're called here to embrace others through honoring them, and that's what we're doing, but then we're rejecting something. Look at the second nature here. We're rejecting passivity. We're rejecting passivity, the nature of people to be lazy, and not just lazy in work, lazy in their lifestyle, in their spiritual life. Look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. There's so much that this world offers us that causes us to want to be passive. Have you figured this out by now? Like, I know we pick on this a lot, but it is truth. This thing right here really, really wants us to live a passive life. Our screens at home, our TV, in fact, Netflix banks on the fact that they want you to live a passive life. But this is not what God has called us to. When we feel called by God 
to love and lead in our family, in our relationships, in our workplace. We should step up and lead. And here's the truth, not to keep picking on Netflix. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with some entertainment or whatever, but the truth is I'm not leading and loving my family well binge-watching Netflix shows. And neither are you. So we're called to reject passivity. Look at verse 11 again. Do not be slothful in zeal. There's this outward diligence that Paul's talking about here. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, I've heard people use this verse before to really kind of talk about this life of profiteering. Like, this verse should mean I should be out moving and shaking and making money and doing the side hustles and all of that good stuff. And, and here's the thing. That verse isn't specifically talking about that. It is talking about diligence, but it's not just diligence in profiting. It's this idea that we're elevating people over profit. We're elevating people over profit. Corby just said this from the stage that his desire is that relationships would be over programs. That the best use of my time is not just making an earthly profit, it's the divine interruptions of people that show love well. It's not just me working hard to make money and to, aim an, to gain an earthly profit, but the best way of making the best use of my time is the knock on the door and the interruption of people. Man, God wants to use those divine interruptions in our lives. Next, you have an inward passion. So you have outward diligence and then you have an inward passion. It's this idea of elevating integrity over indulgence. Look at verse 11 again. The middle part says, be fervent in spirit. It's this idea of when you bring water to boil. I have a little uh, teapot in my house and I put some water in it to make some uh, tea or whatever and hit the little button. And I normally go into the other room, but you, and you probably have noticed this too. Have you ever like picked up, you can hear that thing, right? Like I can be upstairs in my house and I can hear the roar of that stuff, that water coming to a boil. And what Paul is saying here is, hey, what are you bringing to boil in your life? What are you bringing to boil in your life? We talked about this last week. This idea of indulgence, this lust for the world that for, for some of us, our God is our stomach. That's what the, what the passage said, our God is our stomach, that for some of us, we are so fixated on these inward passions that we have are really about indulging ourselves. But God's called us to use these passions for integrity and to love others. God didn't give you your passions to simply indulge yourself. He gave them to you to love people better and to build integrity into your world. It's interesting. I'm going to pick on him for just a minute. But my friend Joey Strickland's up here at the front. And uh, Joey loves to run. That's an inward passion of his. He loves to run. He runs a lot of 5Ks, a lot of different races. 
And what I love about Joey is uh, recently uh, he decided he's going to go on a mission trip with our church. And we're actually headed here in a few months to there. And one of the things he decided to do with this indulgence of his, this, this passion that he has of running, he decided to focus that in such a way that it could help the people of Guatemala, the people he's going to minister to. So he's, he's using his platform, his passion for God's glory, to create integrity in his life and to help him love people better. So here's the, here's the point of it. If you're passionate about 5Ks, God didn't just give you that passion to do indulge on yourself. God's design is that integrity would flow out of your passions and that brings this others-focused life in your world. And so wherever you find yourself, whatever passion is in your heart, man, does it have integrity? Is it just a lust for the world or does it have integrity? Are you using it to indulge yourself or are you using it to build up others? Look at verse 11 again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. The last part here is this idea of upward Service, upward service, elevating spirit pleasing over self promoting, elevating spirit pleasing over self promoting in God's economy. Listen, in God's economy, motive is everything. Motive is everything. It's not just what you do, it's why you do what you do. And for some of us, and I've found myself here so many times, like, you know, we'll go and we'll do great things, right? Like what the world considers great, maybe even what church considers great. We'll go and do great things, but sometimes our motives are not spirit-pleasing. Sometimes our motive is self-promoting. I mean, God is saying, hey, put the focus back on me. That's where satisfaction is. How we love others is how we ultimately love him. Lastly, our second nature also involves gaining and it also involves giving. Gaining and giving. What are we gaining? We're gaining perspective. Look at verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I love this little passage Paul gives us here because what I believe he's saying here is the reason some of us have such a hard time loving others well is because we can't get past looking at ourselves and our own troubles. For some of us, it's a perspective issue. I've got this little ball here. And I think for a lot of us, it's like this. We all have troubles. This is my trouble ball right here, okay? We all have troubles, every one of us. Some of us have bigger troubles than others, but we all have troubles. We all have things in our lives that are difficult. And we, and we have to hold that. God holds it with us, praise God, but, but that's in our life. And for a lot of us, we see the people that we're called to love, right? I'm looking at each one of you, and I know that God's called me to love you. He's called me to love my neighbor. Here's my neighbors right here. Out there are my neighbors. But for a lot of us, what we do is we take the troubles of this world, the troubles we have in our lives, 
And we begin to kind of hold them close and hold them right here to our face. We start to hold them really tight. For some of us, we get to a point where we're literally pushing them into our face because that's all we can see are our troubles. And you know what? Here's, what, here's the crazy thing. Even if our troubles are small, we make them so big. And we get to a place where we're literally, they're right in our face. And we don't see anyone else. We don't see anyone else. We don't see anyone and how to love them well because our perspective is all on our troubles. And what Paul is saying here to us is he's saying, hey, gain a better perspective. Yeah, you can't just throw this away. It might be with you, but gain a better perspective. He says in verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be positive. This isn't just like some naive or vague optimism. No, this is remembering the promises of God that when troubles begin to kind of get in our face, it's us saying to God, Lord, I am sealed and bought with a price and I have a future that is greater than this little ball of trouble right here. And it's this idea of optimism, not in ourselves, or optimism, optimism that the situation is just going to go away. It's optimism in knowing the future and knowing that we have victory in Christ. So we're to be positive. Next, we're to be patient. Be patient in tribulation. Now think about who Paul's talking to in this church. He's talking to believers that, quite frankly, if they assembled together like this, they could be executed. And he's saying to them, hey, in the midst of all of that, rejoice in tribulation. It's trusting in the truth that God is too loving to be unkind and too powerful to be overthrown in his ultimate plan. That everything God puts us through, every ball of trouble that we hold, we can hold it knowing that God is too loving to us to be unkind and he is too powerful to let his plans fail. And we can hold those troubles and those tribulations knowing, patiently holding them, knowing that God has a plan and he loves us intensely. And man, that changes our perspective. Lastly, be prayerful. Be constant in prayer. One translation said it this way, instant in Prayer, that our second nature response, our automatic response would be a response of prayer. That when troubles come, it's just automatic that we would pray. And that just doesn't develop overnight, right? It's this idea that we get to a place where we stop talking about our problems to everyone else more than we pray about our problems. Gary, uh, Pastor Gary says that all the time. He's like, you know, we've talked about this problem enough. We need to pray about this problem. That, I would, that would be our go-to response, that we would gain perspective. But we're not just gaining something, we're giving something as well. We're giving generously. The last verse here, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. We're commanded to be generous with time and treasure. Think about the opposite for just a minute of generosity. What's the opposite of generosity? It's another G word. Greed, right? Greed. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my 
consumption. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption, that everything I own and acquire is for me. And it's easy to point the finger at the rich people and say, well, they're greedy. Well, they're greedy. Well, they're greedy. But what about us? You realize if you're in this room right now, you're in the top 98th percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. Right here. Are you a generous person? Are you a rich, generous person? You're rich. Are you a rich, generous person? Generosity is the conspiracy with Christ against your old nature to reallocate your impermanent wealth. That on the backdrop of eternity, some of you guys are senior adults, maybe you're already retired, maybe you're getting to a place where you're about to retire, or maybe you're just starting out. But here's the truth for all of us in the room. On the backdrop of eternity, your financial portfolio is a sinking ship. You can't take it with you. It's all going to be left here. And what generosity is, it's reallocating that wealth to something that is eternal. So how are you giving your time and treasure to others? I want to close with this this story that I read this week about George Mueller. I know some of you have heard of George Mueller before studying him. Incredible prayer warrior. But I was reminded this week about his life story. You know, he started off his life uh, very wicked, very evil man. Uh, Spent a lot of time in jail and in prison. But at 20 years old, God radically changed him. And he decided to follow Jesus. And he devoted the rest of his life to the destitute of this world, specifically to orphans, to people, to children who had lost their parents. And here's what I found interesting. I didn't know this. He had handled in his lifetime, now this is in the 1800s, he had handled in his lifetime around $8 million. Can you imagine that? About $8 million passed through his hands in his lifetime. And when he died... He had about less than $1,000 of personal possessions. But think about this. He cared for over 10,000 orphans. He established 117 Christian schools that wound up educating over 120,000 kids. This man was a man who said to God, I want my second nature This nature you've given me, God, to be second nature. And it was automatic for him. He got to a place where he just allowed that stuff to flow through him. And he was to love others a better way. So the application is this. Has loving people well become second nature for you? If not, what needs to change? What needs to change in your life? You know, as we went through some of these points that Paul makes, maybe for some of you, there was a point that just really made you cringe. A point that really just made you feel uncomfortable. I'll just, I'll encourage you, go ahead and start at that point. Because that's probably the point that God wants you to start at. How do we love people better? God's desire and design is to empower you to love him wholeheartedly and others 
sacrificially. So if you would, bow your heads. In this quiet moment, I just want to ask the question, are you loving people well? You know, maybe we went through that series, the, the First Things First series, and maybe you were just really encouraged because maybe you're at a place with God and, and man, maybe things are just clicking and, and uh, maybe you are loving him with your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. But maybe when it comes to others, maybe that's where the big struggle is for you. And God's desire is that you would use this nature that he's given you, this brand new nature, to love others well. Maybe it's not automatic in your life. I'm, I'm praying this for my own life. I'm praying that God would just continue to put in me, as I walk through this life, a love for people that is so strong that I would just automatically begin to exude love for others through Him. So wherever you find yourself today, I'm praying that God would do that for you you would begin to love people well. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for this moment, Lord. We pray, God, that as we're in this place, Lord, that we would love others well, Lord. God, that we would gain a better perspective of what we should do with our lives, Lord, that we wouldn't allow our focus on ourselves and our indulgences and our troubles to dictate to us how we love people, Lord, but that we would love people through all of that, Father, that we would love people as you've called us to love them. God, we pray that we would just be obedient and do what you would call us to do. In Jesus' name.